Creative Brain Candy by Creators for Creators. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome in to the Video Game Lounge podcast, the podcast not here for notes and news, but to talk games and drink brews. I'm your host this week, John. I am joined by the bald yet perfectly manicured beard of one Andrew, and he is the redhead who's a deadhead for Red Dead. That is Mr. Kevin. Thank you guys so much for tuning into our podcast this week. You can follow our podcast over at creativebraincandy.com. Other great podcasts over there you should check out, like Stay Wild, Trauma Child, the new podcast over there brought to you by Steph and Jamie. They talk about their traumatic experiences revolving around death, sudden loss, those types of things. Give them a listen. It's really great stuff. So that is our plug for CBC. Again, thank you guys so much for tuning in to this stupid show with these three doofuses. Let's get it started with the two questions that we like to start every show with. The first of which is, what you drinking mr andrew richards good evening how are you what you drinking i'm good i'm good uh i just finished a long night work shift so i'm actually drinking a homemade mojito and uh because i didn't feel like putting ice cubes in it just to keep it cool i put in and muddled some frozen strawberries because i'm a classy bitch what is what does muddled mean (laughs) you know you you take a yeah. No, it means you actually uh, you crush it um, without, like, pulverizing it. I got you. I knew what it meant. Yes. I just wanted our okay. listeners at home who may not yeah. know what it was. Well, they still get... don't know because, you know, I'm terrible at explaining they things. They just missed out on some pretty cool-looking hand gestures from you where you were jerking your mic off. Please subscribe to our OnlyFans to <laughs> get that behind-the-scene footage. As far as what I'm drinking, uh, unless you want to do more hand gestures, Andrew, uh, I'm drinking a Seagram's 7 and 7. It's a very old-timey kind of drink. Yeah, yes, yeah, it yeah. is. You got to get fancy with it, man. It's very simple to make. You just take Seagram 7 and some 7-Up, and then you mix it to however much you want. Give it a little stir, a little bit of ice. Bada-bang, bada-boom, you are good to go. John, uh... I already know because you spoiled what you were drinking, but what are you drinking for the listeners at home? Uh, No one knows that it was spoiled. Um, (laughs) So last episode, I talked about Loose Cannon, locally brewed here uh, in Baltimore. Um, I am drinking Loose Cannon again. This time I am doing the Double Cannon, which is the double IPA. It's actually pretty good. As I mentioned last episode, I am a stout guy. I do enjoy my stouts, but this, uh, dude, this beer is actually really freaking good. I've enjoyed it. Um, double IPA. It's it's freaking awesome. So if you like IPAs and you're ever in the Maryland area, uh, go check out some Heavy Seas Loose Cannon. What's better than pirates and beer? I'm also drinking um an old classic here. I got some Captain Morgan's and Coke because uh, it's just been that type of week, my friends. So sticking double sticking dipping. with. Sticking with the pirate theme, I like it. Yes, it's it's all very captain themed, uh, pirates themed, whatever. Speaking of uh, pirates, yes, little little story go along with that for my week. Uh, so last weekend, 
Uh, we didn't get to record because it was my mother-in-law's birthday, and she wanted to go kayaking. So we did the the two people kayaks, uh, tandems, tandem kayaks. Sure. Right? Question mark. <laughs> I think that's what they're called because you have the tandem bikes, and it's the same thing as. It's basically the same thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, last, uh, not last year, but the year before that, we did it, and I just remember yelling at my wife the whole time because she was like, she wanted to see the nature, which I understand, but like on a tandem kayak, you both need to do something, or else it's going to be bad news bears. So, this year, she got in the back, I got in the front, because the f- the back is the one supposed to be steering, and the front was all the power. So I would steer, and we would just go in a circle. So this year, uh, she did that. And to keep her motivated, uh, I started playing Assassin's Creed 4 uh, Sea Shanties. So we listened to Assassin's Creed 4 Sea Shanties for like 30 minutes before she took her paddle and like swung it at me. <laughs> so that's that's what I did with my weekends when we didn't record. Tangent within a tangent. We haven't even gotten to our second opening question yet. What is your favorite Assassin's Creed she's Sea shanty. Um, I gotta go with the classic. Uh, Are you a Lowlands fan? Yeah, 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 for sure, man. But I like I do enjoy Lowlands. My favorite has always been uh, the worst old ship, just because I I freaking love the guy's like accent of that song. And of course, you can't go wrong with Drunken Sailor. I oh mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, did do you know anything about? That game, like, did they get professional singers coming? It sounds really You good. can find the whole soundtrack on Spotify, and if you actually look at the the guys' names who sing it, it is, like, a frickin' acapella group out of somewhere in the UK. Um, and I do emphasize UK because it's some Irish guys, some English guys. Like, it's a bunch of guys who are, like, legit singers. Um, yeah, it's, it's it, they hired, uh, like, a an acapella group for it and they're freaking outstanding they're amazing andrew has no idea what we're talking about and doesn't care <laughs> about sea shanties it's fine oh i i love i love certain sea shanties but i actually started looking them up and they have some amazing like titles i mean you got the original the drunken sailor uh goodbye goodbye fare you well roll boys roll farewell ye spanish ladies is another great one where am i to go majones <laughs> It's not Johonies, it's Johnny's, you dumbass. <laughs> oh, is it? Well, you know, I'm reading it. I don't. I never played the game. <laughs> it doesn't so. speak well to your reading level. <laughs> oh, it, it, I am very third grade reading level. And this is where Andrew and I mentioned we graduated from private school. Um. <laughs> the Golden Vanity, Blow Away the Morning Dew, Here's a Health to the Company, Down Among the Dead Men, over the hills and far away, Spanish ladies. Now, do you know all these, or are you just kind of like reading what their the itinerary is? I am attempting to read from a third grade reading <laughs> He's level. He's got an Irish tattoo on his forearm. Of course he knows these songs. That's a long pause. I don't think that's true at all. <laughs> and that's a perfect segue into what you're playing. Mr. Kevin, pick on you first. What you've been playing since the last time we spoke? So, I finally got all my achievements in Dead Rising, so I finally put that game to rest congrats thank you thank you it was a uh so i actually i remember i was talking about the 14 hour long seven day survivor achievement i actually died at like 13 hours and 20 minutes into it so i had to restart it all because my dog had to go potty 
<laughs> and like I had plenty. I mean, weren't of, you hiding the whole time? Yeah, yeah. What happens is every uh, 1.4 minutes, you lose one tick of health, and you have 12 ticks. So in 20 minutes, if you don't eat anything, you'll die. So my control, as long as your controller doesn't get touched for the Xbox One Series X, uh, I have it set for every 10 minutes. So in 10 minutes, my screen was supposed to stop. I was going to get a little message saying, please reconnect your controller. It was all good. So I went, tucked my dog out to go potty, come back inside. I get the message. You survived 13 hours and blah, blah, blah minutes. And I was like, well, I got to do this again. So got to spend another 14 hours playing that goddamn game. Just this. And it literally, it's just you get food and then you just hide somewhere for 14 hours. That's it. There's no playing the game. There's there's nothing to do for 14 hours. Uh, so I finally put that to rest. That is not what I'm playing. Thank goodness. But because you actually, you know, you really wanted it, you had to really put in the effort yeah. to get that completion because you had to do it again. Yeah, yeah. I got all, I got my 1,000 out of 1,000 achievements for Dead Rising. Dead Rising is done. It's going to take me a little bit, but I'll eventually go to Dead Rising 2. I need a break from Dead Rising. So I went on Game Pass and I found this really fun game called West of Dead. Now, I'm a humongous, it's probably my favorite genre, is, is, um, it literally just blanked, like, what it was, uh, But it's your favorite. I know, no, 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 I think it's from Concussions as a kid, I just can't remember names of anything. Uh, right, Steve? Roguelike. Roguelike, I'm sorry. So, roguelikes, I don't know if you guys know or not, roguelikes, um, you, basically, you can beat the game in, like, an hour. Imagine it's a dungeon crawler that's very short, and it's randomized every time you start. So that's what West of Dead is like. West of Dead you play as, uh, who's the guy that plays Hellboy? Ron Perlman, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he play, you, he is the voice actor for this. You play this, like, almost Ghost Rider kind of guy. It's a skeleton with his head on fire, and you go around, and you kill all these, like, so damn Ghost souls. Rider. Essentially. Um, but you just go around and kill all these like other outlaws and stuff like that. And you send them on their merry way. And I haven't, I haven't finished it yet. Um, but apparently he has some kind of dispute with this preacher. I don't know how much of a preacher he was, but so that's, that's what I've been playing besides Final Fantasy VI. I'm, I'm almost, I'm almost done Final Fantasy VI. I'm really, really glad to be done with Final Fantasy VI. I don't, Save for a later date, but I don't really see why the hype is for Final Fantasy VI. I think Final Fantasy V was better. It's just my personal opinion, though. But, uh, Andrew, what are you, uh... Hold on, but before Andrew goes, for the uninformed, and, uh, Kevin has challenged himself to play through all the mainline titles of Final Fantasy in a year. The numeric. In, in numerical order. Are you also doing the online games, 11 and 14, as well? No, online, I knew as a kid, like, I never played WoW, I never played, the most I played was uh, Evercrack. And I had never played them because I knew I would be sucked into them. Gotcha. And I hear there's a good story for 11 and 14 Final Fantasy, uh, but... I heard there was for 14, I didn't hear so much for 11. Maybe that's what it was, but I can't, I can't imagine an MMO having much of a storyline. Like, I, it's probably like Skyrim where you have to read a lot of stuff, and I don't... I don't have time for that this year. ESO had that kind of thing. Yeah, I'll eventually try and play it. Maybe. Uh, I know Final Fantasy fourteen just kind of like announced some new stuff they're coming out with, but I'm going to play... 
I'm actually going to play, I'm going to try and play all the main series. So that involves 13, 13-2, 13-3. It also involves 10-2, uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, I'll probably save that for the PS5 update. But um, if I have time, which the way it's looking now, I probably won't. Uh, I'm going to try and get into like tactics and Mystic Quest and stuff like that. So I'm really excited. I'm 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 actually losing time right now. Like, uh, I had beaten three games in January. I beat one, two, and three in, in January, and then I January, beat, February, yeah, yeah, and then f- I think I beat four in February as well. And five, I I had to take some time to beat, and then six has just been kicking my ass. It's uh, I'm about twenty. I think I'm about thirty hours in, but I don't think there's much more for me to do except for go to the final boss. So I mean, you've been pretty busy, like aside from that too. So yeah. But as soon as I hit Final Fantasy 7, 8, and 9, those are getting crushed. They are going to get so destroyed. Just because of how often I, like, I've played them. So with your description of West of Dead, I, I had to look it up. Mm-hmm. And it, it does look pretty cool. Um, it's very indie looking. Um, almost like the cartoony graphics of uh, 13. Uh, West of Dead. Descend into the grim and gritty world of Purgatory. In this cover-based shooter, which combines the fluidity of twin-stick controls and tactical cover usage. Dodge behind cover as you try to outgun your enemies in the unknown, procedurally generated hunting grounds. Available on Steam. Is the sequel called East of Alive? (laughs) (laughs) That's where everything in the world is mirrored, and uh, you're a guy that's wet instead of on fire. Andrew, what have you been playing since last time we spoke? Honestly, I haven't been playing too much. Um, I've been pulling a lot of uh, double shifts and side gigs. Um, So I've been playing some Genshin Impact when I can, but I haven't even played any Warzone in a while, which, I mean, I'm not really missing out on much. So, But I haven't had a chance to uh, play. I played a little bit of Uncharted for you, John, and... uh, and I downloaded Binding of Isaac for Kevin, and uh, I haven't got a chance to really wrap into that yet, but uh, hopefully I'll start getting a little more free time. What about you, John? Uh, bros, my last two weeks have been totally just sinking into this game, Outriders. Um, it was released on April Fool's Day, uh, and I am a fucking fool for <laughs> playing this damn game. Uh, I, I played the demo, and so we're we're gonna get into part two of our topic from from last episode. Where we were talking about gaming as it is today, and I definitely have some shit to say about Outriders because the the stuff that it does well, it does pretty good, and the stuff that it does wrong, it does horribly wrong. But I totally got into this game uh, because the the demo is actually really really cool. Um, you have it's it's basically a shooter RPG, right? And you have four classes within that. You become a Technomancer, which is like a guy who uses gadgets and your damage is frost. And then you have a Pyromancer. And then you have um, the Trickster, um, which is like uh, lightning damage. And you can do kind of up close, um, like, melee damage. And then you have, um, I I forget what the other guy is called, but he's basically like a, a tank character with earth damage. And what's cool is you have six character slots, right? And you can play all four characters 
and then have like you know different build you can your other two slots you can do different builds for for the characters um but then all your progress within the demo can carry over to the main game which is such a cool fucking aspect that i absolutely enjoyed um uh, i mean you have level caps like you can only get to a certain level but i the fact that i could i i went out and got the game i paid for it and then um like loaded it in and all of my characters and their levels and all of the equipment and um like abilities and stuff that i had unlocked to that point were already there which is pretty cool that's how a demo should be give me the first full level and let that transfer over into the game and what was cool is the side quests were also unlocked there were like three or four side quests and i had already done them and that xp and all that stuff carried over which is how you're supposed to do a demo it's how you draw people in, you give them that little bit of a taste, but you also reward them for having actually come out and do the demo, do the beta, do the alpha, whatever it is, and you give them that reward for putting their time in, and then, boom, there you go. See, your progress is already carried over, you get this unlock, you receive this reward, blah, blah, blah. Yes, agree with you 100%. Um so that's what I've been sinking my time into. I haven't played pretty much anything else for the last uh, two weeks or so. I've just been sinking my time into this game. So, no, that's that's like uh, I've never played it. That's like that's like Destiny, right? Uh, it's like a mixture of. <laughs> this is becoming an Outriders uh, review here. Um, so it's uh, Andrew. I think you would really like it because I know you were a huge Borderlands player, um, and I, I remember playing with you a few times. So it's it's a, it's a looter shooter. It's it's less Gears of War. It's more um, I would say Borderlands and kind of like Diablo three, um, kind of like that. But you it, it's like a shooter, but you have some RPG like uh, mechanics to it. You have like like I just kind of went through the four different like classes that you can be. So what what's kind of neat about it is like unlike your typical shooters like Call of Duty and Battlefield and shit like that, your health regenerates as you um you know kill or um like affect opponents like with your abilities and shit like that, which I think is kind of a unique take. I think it's really cool. So you're kind of rewarded for your aggressiveness there are moments where you need to kind of snipe or um kind of just hang back and let you know like your enemies come to you that kind of thing um but man it's it's a fun game uh it's it's i would say it's like a solid like high c like like if i'm rating it on a scale of one to a hundred it's like a 79 like it's it's almost a b (laughs) it's almost a b you said that you paid like 20 bucks for this were you playing on PS4. So I pay thirty bucks because I traded in a shit ton of games for it. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't gonna pay full price for this damn game. Um, <laughs> my voice just cracked. I wasn't gonna pay full price for this damn game. Um, but dude, the demo is actually really fun, and you can play locally with two other players. And uh, dude, it's it's fun as shit. Um, it's it's really cool. Um, I think that's something. And it's on Game Pass. I think that's something we may have to uh, sync up on. Yeah, and I've tried all four um, of the classes. They're, they all have their kind of plus and minuses, if you will, your pros and cons. Um, I have kind of stuck with the Pyromancer class. Um, you have this ability called the Thermal Bomb, where what you do is you kind of like punch the ground, you send like a, seism- uh, like a lava seismic 
like shock through the ground that hits an opponent. And then you have like a seven second timer to where you have to deal killing damage to that opponent. And then if you kill him within that seven seconds, he then becomes a thermal bomb and will like detonate and kill enemies around him. And because in this game, you, like I said, you replenish health by killing or hurting enemies. Uh, it's like a great way to replenish health when you're being bombarded with shit tons of guys. So it is pretty fun. Um, there's a lot of stuff within that game, though, that will deal with our topic today. Just some shit that I have to get off my chest that I am just not happy with. So with that, I think it's time we get into our topic. What do you think, boys? Let's do it. All right. So again, I'm not just going to like spend this whole time shitting on Outriders, but the first part that I wanted to kind of talk about today with gaming as it is today, I believe more games would be, and and a lot of games do this, but I think more games should have button mapping in, in a way that is kind of like Call of Duty or Borderlands, where... We were having this discussion before we started recording of uh, uh, versus like options and accessibility. Like what I do like about Call of Duty, even though I personally am not a Call of Duty fan and am also not really good at Call of Duty. But what I will applaud them for is their ability to switch between different controller layouts, whether it's flipped or it's tactical or it's left stick, right stick, and then you can flip those things. I believe, especially if you are a game where your primary function is that you are a shooter. I should be able to pick which buttons are my aim down sight, my ADS, and my fire button. This this game, Outriders, doesn't let you do that. It is stuck on L2 and R2, or left trigger, right trigger, if you're an Xbox player, right? And man, it was so jarring, because I have spent so much time over the last, like, I don't know, 10 years using like on a PlayStation controller, L1, R1, or your left button, right button, as my aim down sight and my and my trigger. Right, because didn't we play with that, with Siphon Filter, with uh, Metal Gear? Like, Andrew and I have played so many, like, shooter-type games with that kind of controller format where we had the option to, to do that. And I, I fully am on the side of that it's an option. Controller layout should be an option. I should be able to pick what my buttons do. I'm not saying, especially within a shooter, I don't think that I need to map every button to a specific thing, but um, the way that I want to, I mean. But, like, let me pick the controller layout that feels most comfortable to me. Right, especially if it's a common layout. Like, if you have just the regular, or you have the southpaw, or if you're doing an inverted x-axis, y-axis... I mean, it doesn't always have to go directly into the, I'm going to switch every button around because I want this button to be this and this button to be that so that I don't have to hold it weird Paul Claw-like, like, uh, you know, some awesome streamers that really kick butt do. Yeah. Driz, do you have any thoughts on, like, button mapping or layout or anything like that? The most I have to say about it is... uh. They have some, like, I remember playing Halo. They had, like, predetermined ones where you couldn't change it to what you want, but they had some, like, some ones that were pretty, like, normal. And then they just threw some in there that didn't make any, like, I was like, who the hell is playing like this? 
Right. It's like uh, you shoot by clicking in L3. It's like, hmm, seems like a bad idea, bud, but uh, go for it. Wear down this joystick real quick. Throw this grenade with the right trigger while you're shooting with the left stick. I was like, "Mm, I don't think so there, guy. Hold on, let me sprint real quick. Oh, I just threw a grenade. (laughs) Now, let me ask you this, John. Do you think game companies don't do that? This conspiracy theory. Do you think game companies don't purposely let you do that so they can sell you the really expensive uh, Xbox and PlayStation, like, pro controllers that have, like, the extra buttons where you actually can button map with the controller itself, not with the game? No, I I don't think it has really anything to do with that. I think... Uh, especially with this game being a double-A studio that made it. It's, it's, it's a double-A studio named People Can Fly, right? Um, they can. Yeah, yeah they, they totally can. I work for the airline. They cannot fly. God. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it's just, like, clearly the three of us are not video game makers or producers or programmers or anything like that. So Hey, Andrew was a tester. Andrew technically was a tester, yes. Blame, blame him. ESO didn't have button mapping, and I don't think the tester ever said, hey, guys, this needs button mapping. So, Or maybe he did and he just got overruled. Like, I, I, I can't speak for <laughs> how button mapping works, but um, no, I, I don't think it's a, a conspiracy at all. I think it's just something like the developers go, hey, I want to, you know, we're, we're mapping the buttons this way because it's how the... Th- the 30 or 100 or however many people are within the studio are going to play this game. That's how we're, we're, we're developing it and that's how we're playing it. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily like, Oh, you need to buy the super special pro controller. I think it's just like, Hey, this is the button layout that we decided. Like on the, on the flip side, the, the other side of the coin there though, is I have played a couple of games where the layout was switched and I played the game, and while it took me like a minute, five minutes or something to kind of get used to the layout, I, I actually liked it. And when I switched to like what I thought was the normal layout, um, I ended up switching back. Like a, a game that I've brought up numerous times because it is on my Mount Rushmore of games. Like if I had to pick four games that I'm like, you know, that I'm are my favorites, God of War 2018 is probably my favorite game of all time. And what that game did differently combat-wise was map the your your light attack to uh, R1, which is your, your right button, and then your heavy attack to your R2, which is your right trigger. And in all previous God of War games, your light attack used to be square, and your heavy attack used to be triangle. Square, square, triangle. Yeah. Best combo in God of War. Best combo in God of War. Yes, clearly. Uh, going back all the way to the first game, 2005. Um, or XXY if you're on uh, Xbox, right? And you have the option to switch to that in in the 2018 game, and it just it feels so jarring. It, like it, you're like, oh, your your initial instinct is to go to that, but when the button is mapped to R1 and R2 or right trigger, right bumper, um, I don't know. It just feels natural. It feels pretty cool. And another thing that they do in that game, which I find very interesting, is X is the dodge, and zero is like the interact button. Or I say zero, the, the circle is your interact button, right? Where typically that would be the other way around. Within minutes, I was like, well, this was kind of weird. But then I kind of got used to it. And then when I tried to switch, I was like, oh, man, my, my brain has already adjusted to this kind of different right. layout. And I couldn't undo it. So 
I left it the way that it was the in, like the rest of the playthrough of that game. Um, so there are certain button layouts that make sense. Um, certain ones that just flow, especially with the style of the game that it is or the actions that are attached to those buttons. Yes. But, like, again, going back to Outriders, and I don't mean to shit on this game, but when the ADS, your aim down sight, and your fire are L2 and R2, and then all your abilities are tied to... You can hit L1, R1 for separate abilities, and you can hit them together for a third separate ability. I'm like, man, I would love the ability to map that out in the way that feels more comfortable to me. You know what's funny is like you're 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 kind of uh, shitting on that mapping layout, but that's exactly what I use on Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I have my left trigger as my ADS and my right trigger as my shooting. Left bumper, my L1 as my tactical grenades. Right bumper as my lethals. What's that uh, kill death ratio looking like? Oh, one five six, one point five six. Oh shit! So I'm positive. Try to burn him. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. You could try. I I know for me, like when in in my time with Call of Duty, like what I found was especially playing on a wireless controller, switching from the triggers to the buttons. There, there is something to be said about like that input taking like half a second less time because the triggers you have to fully press in for that like Call of Duty or really any shooter, whether it's your Borderlands, your you know any other shooter type game, it does shave off half a second. And when you're playing Call of Duty or Warzone or like say the hardcore modes of Call of Duty, like that half a second is monumental as far as timing goes. There's more of the response time with that button and just the reaction times. Like even if you have that split second of reaction time, if you're not doing that action quick enough, then that reaction time is almost uh, not even worth it. And so another thing within like the the concept of button mapping, I feel like games that are released let's say post, I don't know, 2010, should have a button that is mapped to the actual quest map or like the world map, if we want to call it that. Let's go just for kicks and giggles, we're going to call it the world map, right? Um, again, I don't mean to shit on Outriders and people who can fly, which is the studios, but the fact that I actually have to pause the game, go into a menu tab over one tab then hit a button that then brings up the map that's kind of a pain in the ass there should already be a button that i can go like a, on a playstation 4 controller should be that that light pad button which on almost every game ever on ps4 is the button that brings up your quest map and it goes hey i'm here the quest wants me to go to the left. Cool, I'm going to check this shit out over here on the right because there might be a side quest, a shiny shiny, which is what we call treasures here at VGL. Um, you know, or what what have you. What, what do you guys think about that? Like being able to pull up the map and not have to go into a menu for it. I think that it's definitely something that has uh, become more difficult over the years because it used to be you just hit the start button. You just hit select. And like even when I play Genshin Impact... I can uh, hold L1 and then toggle through the menus uh, of things that I can have actions I can do, inventory, character selection, map, whatnot, with the right analog stick. And I can just hold L1 while I'm moving around and then press down to hit the map. 
but wasn't it Skyrim that like you would even have to like press start and then tab over like from your action screens or your uh, your constellations, your inventory, then the map and everything else, or or just some other ones like yeah, as things have gotten more progressive throughout the years, they've tried to instill more in each of the buttons. They tried to like add more options, but also making everything more difficult. Yeah, like when when you play Madden today, like like uh, I mentioned during the last episode, <laughs> um, like playing Madden, right? You hit a button for a specific receiver. Like if you're you're the quarterback and you're you're calling a pass play, if you do a quick tap, it's like a like a lob pass. If you do kind of a half second tap, it's like a um, I forget what they call it, but it's a different type of pass. But if you hold it down, then it's like a bullet pass. And it's like, why can't we just like map that to the D-pad or something like that? Like, I want to do a bullet, I want to do a, oh, a touch pass. That's what it's called. You can do a bullet pass, a touch pass, or a lob pass. Like, And that's all based on how much you press that button. Like, that's too many actions for one button to do. If I want to hit my primary receiver, which is like the square button or the X button on an xbox like just go okay i want to hit x let me hit my d-pad for what type of pass and then like let that be the input you know what i mean (laughs) there shouldn't be three different types of functions for one button i feel like that's too much that's all i'm saying the problem with that though john is all right say you're playing madden i want you to visualize the controller in your hand i'm assuming you're in play on ps4 so you're using analog sticks right yeah all right so you're a cubian Try and pretend to pick this receiver and then use your use your D-pad to throw to him. What thumb are you using? I'm going to use my left because it's my D-pad. If, 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 if I hit square or triangle or circle or R1, whatever receiver I'm picking is with my right hand. The type of pass that I am throwing is with my left hand. So what's going to happen is your left thumb is going to go off the joystick so your QB is going to stop moving. My point I'm trying to make with this is that I feel like these companies have spent so much time playing this game that I don't I don't change set. The only setting I change when I play a new game is inverted. I cannot play inverted. I used to. The only time I ever did was when I was played Goldeneye. And for the same reason, I, I pop a game in. They're like, okay, here's your controls. Learn them. And I feel like, all right, these guys have played this game for hundreds thousands hours all right they they thought out this is the best way to do it there must be a reason so i learn the way they tell me to learn what what you're saying john is if you map it to the d-pad which i think is a terrible idea i don't i agree with putting it all on one button it's a bad idea but i i was just bringing up the d-pad as an example but like if, if you give me an additional input with my my choice of pass, I think that that would be better suited. That's all I'm saying. Like you could even do right analogs. Yeah, too. no, I agree with that. But what I'm I'm just trying to segue into, you know, devil advocate where I agree with the button mapping they do. Where, like I said, they've put in a thousand hours plus into this game, so they probably all were like, you know, this maybe should be on this, maybe we should put it on this, and they eventually got to the point where it was like, hey, we're pretty comfortable with this. So that's kind of like why I just stick with whatever they give me, 
except for inverted. I, I understand why inverted is there. And I've had friends explain to me like it makes sense inverted. To me, I just can't play it that way. I just, I can't. I'll turn, I'll, I'll putting that off as it's the first thing I'm doing. Press start, inverted, off, get out of here, son. So, Andrew, as the Y axis or is it X axis? Which inverted? Y yeah, axis. Th- yeah. Was- oh, he, he would know. So, we, we've gone through, well, I, I married a math teacher. I have to know that kind of thing. Um, so to, to, to work off of two things here, um, whenever, I played Halo 2. Like, we played Halo back in the day. Whenever I played Halo 2, we played, we put a lot of hours in that, Kevin, from doing, uh, you know, special jumps to doing, like, uh, land parties inside of, uh, your house and John doing land parties for your bachelor party. Yes. We, we, we put a lot of time into that. And for some reason, we put so much time into it that at one point I logged in and my setting was inverted in the middle of a match and I couldn't figure out how to change it right away. So I, I started playing with it inverted and it was difficult. And like you said, it was one of those things that like was kind of just set up for me and I had to learn on the fly. Well, I played for a while with that. I don't remember how long, maybe, uh, you know, a few matches or maybe a week, but I tried switching it back and I couldn't play the other way. I couldn't play regular. So I switched it back to inverted and I've been playing inverted ever since. It's that third grade reading level rearing its ugly head, man. <laughs> <laughs> what? What's uh? uh ein, einverto? Einverto? <laughs> Maybe you should change your pants. So, Drew, on on that point, is is x axis and y axis inversion? Is that an option or is that accessibility? Let's get into that. Well, explain which, uh, explain how you feel option and accessibility vary. I I believe that controller layout is an option. I should have the option to to choose what I think is the best input structure for the game that I am playing. I feel like like if I pull up my iPhone right now and I go into settings and accessibility, it deals with like the size of the text, the color of the screen. It's all about like how my iPhone sounds and looks like and it's same thing within a game like accessibility is more about like for people with disabilities people who are blind or that type of thing like I feel like controller layout falls into options right I I should have the option of how I want to input how the game plays I should be able to switch buttons versus triggers or or triggers versus buttons or however i want to play so as you explain it like that i will definitely agree that i feel like inverted is an option it should be something that you choose that is available for you to alter if you so desire um and i mean i think i thought it was cool whenever i was uh like 14 like oh man you know fighter pilots you know had the joysticks that are inverted so that they could fly this and that and that was my like really awesome way of thinking but then i was just like i I played with it and kept with it and that's just how it continued to be running back we were talking about the button mapping and i feel like drizzle mentioned of the pro controllers and i feel like with the pro controllers there it's it's not necessarily a 
starts with a C. Something theory. Cognitive? <laughs> conspiracy Conspiracy theory. Shush. Cognitive, yeah. Uh, third grade cognitive level. Conspiracy theory. I don't think that the pro controllers are necessarily a conspiracy theory. I just feel like today's games nowadays have way too many actions that they want to try to perform and jump into the limited amount of buttons. So for controllers, it's more difficult. For keyboard, you have the entire keyboard layout and you can just select what you want to do. And even then, you may have like uh, alt, sh or alt shift or, you know, control space. And you may double up some of the keyboard uh, buttons for a certain action. And then they try to consolidate all of that into a controller. I feel like you, you just make it more simple. You know, you know, third grade cognitive reading level. Make it simple. I like simple. Driz, what are your thoughts, bro? It's hard to keep it simple nowadays because these games are just so advanced you know if you keep it simpler then they're gonna have to scrap some ideas and then you're gonna complain that there's not enough in the game that you can do you know what i mean like if the story's good enough it might not need to uh limit actions for some not everyone's an rpg fan not even, some people some people play skyrim and they have no idea what's going on skip 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 i just want to zap some bunnies on the the hillside you know what i mean with my lightning ability but then again, I guess, you know, there are certain games like uh, Soul Calibur, Mortal Kombat that are very, like, button controller uh, action capable. You, you want to have those options of different combos, different uh, ways you want to attack. Driz, I want to I circle back to you because I don't feel like you weighed in on, like, uh, the, the world map. Like, should that be a mappable button? Like that, that there should be something on the controller that goes, "Hey, I am here. My quest is over there." That type of thing. I feel like as long as the game has a very good way of telling you where it is, you don't really need a button dedicated to the map. Like, as long as the mini map is good, like uh, Witcher Three, uh, it shows in the outer circle which direction you need to go to. It gives you a little like breadcrumb trail on where you can follow to follow the main road to go to your nearest point. I feel like if the game does it well enough, you don't need to go have an exclusive button for the minimap. Now, if you have something that literally, the button literally does nothing, like, uh, I don't know what Outriders, the, the PS4 light button does, whatever it's called. You know what? Maybe they forgot it existed. I forget that the thing's a button all the time. I, I click it and I'm like, oh, I broke it. You know what I mean? Like, so maybe they just forgot. But if they're not using it, then sure, throw it on there. It, it It is mapped to something, though. Like, if you hit the options button in that game, you bring up, like, your inventory. But if you hit the pad, the light pad, it brings up, like, uh, your more broader, like, options. It has, like, the in-game options and the quest map and then your journal for all the little, like, goofy things that you pick up within the world, that type of thing. All the characters and the story at that point and then... A bunch of other shit. Oh, excuse me. It's it's the beer and, and the captains. It's the hops. Yeah, it's, it's all the other stuff in there, too. Um, But, like, okay, so another thing within, like, the world map aspect. Out of the three of us, Kev, you're the only one to have finished Witcher 3. Um, mm -hmm. When you pull up that map and you see literally hundreds of question marks, is that, like... You're also the completionist. When you pull up Witcher 3 map, you know, whether it's Velen or it's um, 
the 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 Skellig Isles or or whatever. Like, do you get uh like bombarded with those question marks and go, oh shit, I gotta go get every single one of those question marks, or do you go, all right, uh, I'm just gonna follow the yellow question mark because that's the quest one. Like, no, no, I definitely. Uh, I, f- I like try and stay away from the main quest in any game I play because I'm always worried like an old, an, very well-known old school kind of thing was if you go down the path they want you to go following story, you ain't going back, son. So I'm always worried. Like if I, if I go do the main quest, they're going to ship me off on a boat onto some island and I won't be able to get back and I'm going to miss out on picking pansies for, you know, Miss Scarlet over here. There are several Sega Genesis games, Nintendo games, Super Nintendo games that did that where you just, if you hit the the, the right way... The point of no return. Yes. So you wanted to try to do as many side quest things as you could before you followed the main story because then that's where you just, uh, there's, there's, there's no going back. And Final Fantasy VII was big for that whenever we were yeah. trying to find all the materials and... Uh, and do the completionist there because if you you didn't have a chance to go back, and if you did, it was in the next disc. I do enjoy Witcher's Three map a lot because you can tell it what to put on. Like you can say, "Hey, I just want these things. I want I, want, I just want the towns. Put the towns on the map." I feel like that's a really nice little thing to do because if not, I mean, I'm collecting quests left and right. I got shit all over the goddamn map. You know what I mean? I, and then I get a little bombarded. But it's very nice where they can just be like, all right, well, we'll just hide these from you if you want. Yes, I, I, I agree with you. The ability to edit the map, the legend, if you will, as to what pops up on the map. Is it your blacksmiths? Is it your, you know, your your quest, your side quests, uh, unfinished quest, or like undiscovered locations, if you want to call them that, like that type of thing. I think that that's pretty cool. I feel like I just had really good luck with games, and I've had good map experiences. I feel like you guys, you guys are picking these games where like these maps are horrendous. I, I like I. You're also the best gamer out of the three of us. I'll just <laughs> go ahead and say that right off the bat, like. I'm not saying it's a, it's a dick measuring contest, but like you're, I don't know how you quantify, I don't know how you quantify best gamer. You know what I mean? Like there's a big thing in the speedrunning community. It's like, well, who's the best speedrunner? It's like, well, how do you, how do you quantify that? Well, I'm sorry. Who's a big thing is cause Mario is big in speedrunning and it's who, who's the best Mario player. How do you, how do you judge that? Who is it who has the world record time for this category in this one Mario game? Is it this person who knows every single Mario? Like how do you like how do you quantify who's the best gamer? I just play a lot of games and that's it. You know what I mean? I don't I don't see myself as the best gamer. I feel like we all have But you're the type of gamer that's good at every game that you touch. Andrew and I are not as lucky. At least well, I, I can't really throw Andrew fully into that. I'm gonna throw my name into that. As much as I play video games, I suck more dick than Monica Lewinsky at them, so. <laughs> I'm terrible, I'll, I'll say this, I'm terrible at racing games. I uh, I don't know when to, the, the slow is fast technique, never got it. Never understood it, never will to the, to the day I die. So a, a game like Mario Kart or Crash Bandicoot Racing, like that type of shit, you're not good at? Or, or you're talking about like Gran Turismo? More like. 
cruising world. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm talking like to me those are those are like party racing games. Like I'm talking like Gran Turismo, uh Need for Speed, stuff like that. The more realistic ones. Yeah, yeah, of course I obviously Need for Speed is super realistic. Fast and Furious in a video game. God. Grand Theft Auto. We're not discussing Fast and the Furious. That's a whole you please join other creative brain candies for Fast and Furious talk. We're not discussing Fast and Furious ever. Join us next episode for the Fast and Furious breakdown. <laughs> movie by movie. Where Kevin won't be joining us. <laughs> yeah. Special guest Crowley. <laughs> Fuck Filoni. There we go. Dropped it. He's just going to show up. We're talking about Fast and the Furious today. Fuck Filoni. Uh, I don't think Filoni has any hand in Fast and the Furious. It's got an F in it. Fuck Filoni. I was like, all right, well, fair enough, man. But no, back on topic. We we started with maps, and we're on Dave Filoni. Obviously, he he made a really shitty map on Star Wars somewhere, but I don't know. I've gotten really, like I said before, I think I've gotten really lucky with maps. Uh, Binding of Isaac has a really good map. Um, you can put it. Very small in the tiny in the top right corner. You can turn it off, or you can hold down uh, what's I call the back button, uh, and you can enlarge it. Perfect. Like you know what I mean, one of the things that kind of turned me off on Witcher Three was like, yes, there is fast travel, but there were so many times, like even within that first map in White Orchard, right, like okay, I can go to this place, but then I have to get on my horse and ride for five minutes before I can get to, like, this monster thing that I need to blow up or this thing that gives me a 10% boost of a sign for an hour or whatever the hell. And it's like, man, if you're going to give me fast travel, let me be, like, somewhere that's actually important, not just something that's fucking... 150 meters away or whatever. No, I... No, I... No, go, go ahead, Andrew. No, I'm, I'm hoping go, you're on I'm my I'm going to go off on a whole new... I'm going to go off on a whole new fast travel tangent, so go ahead, Driz. I, I'm against fast travel. I hate fast travel <sighs> with a passion. I... Look, man, it draws me... Like, there's caveats. I enjoy it, but it has its cons. There, I, there's caveat. All right, if it makes sense in the game, I will fast travel. All right, say Skyrim, perfect example. I will never pull the map and go from east coast to west coast in a load screen ever. The only time I will fast travel is when you go outside the towns and they have the carriage. I'm like, all right, this makes sense. I can pay this guy twenty gold and he'll carry my ass to Riften. All right. I'll do that. I am not going to be exiting a dungeon and I'm like, I'm 249 weight out of 250. I've got to go sell some shit. You know? No. If I do that, you best, you best believe I'm getting on my horse and I'm pressing the Y button to jump up and down on the goddamn mountain to get over the mountain because it's much faster to go over the mountain than it is to spend the 10 minutes going around that mountain, even though I'm I'm spending an hour going on top of that mountain. That's the only fast travel I believe in, baby. But but you know, like with Skyrim, though, like if you go into the dungeons and shit like that, you eventually, like that last room, there's an elevator or a staircase or something that brings you back up to the fucking beginning of the dungeon, right? Like in so many games, uh, like today, 
it doesn't do that for you. You get to the end of this thing. Like one of my most beloved games, and again, another game that I've talked a lot about so far within this podcast, Jedi Fallen Order. You get to, like if you go to that world of Zepho and you get to the tomb of Mictral, there's no fast travel back. And if there is a person alive who didn't fucking YouTube how to get out of that damn thing, I would like to know how in the hell you got out of there. I'm pretty good with sense of direction. My wife calls me the human GPS. I couldn't find my way back to the ship at that point. Like, there should have been a fast travel point to get me back to the fucking ship and continue the story. That's all I'm saying. I disagree with that part. I feel like if you are in a dungeon, you should explore until you get out. But as far as his point, um, I feel like as far as fast travel goes, if I am exploring an open world game, I personally am going to explore every caveat around the fast travel or up to the fast travel point so that I am not needing to walk to that fast travel point again to get to a, an activity that's nearby. Because I have already encompassed everything inside of it. But if I'm doing a dungeon, I feel like if I miss something, I, I, I should be the one that has to still go through the dungeon before I leave. What I am saying, though, is if I am in the last room of whether it is a dungeon or of the actual story quest, if I'm as far as I can possibly go, and knowing the gamer that I, that I am, and, the, and really all three of us are, where we're searching every nook and cranny, if if I've already done that and I am now in the last room and I've gotten everything that, that I can, there should be a fast travel point there. That's my point. Like if, if everything's already been searched and I've collected every collectible or shiny shiny or treasure or whatever we're calling it now, <laughs> like I should be, especially like within a, a map that is Jedi Fallen Order and all I have to do is get back to the ship to then continue the story. There should be a fast travel point there. I shouldn't have to spend the next 30 minutes getting back because I've already explored everything. That's all I'm saying. So so what if they actually hid something else or you didn't find everything? Should you not be allowed to fast travel at the end then? Well, again, like using Jedi Fallen Order as uh, as an example, there it kind of does the Metroidvania thing where it's... But part of it is like, okay... There may be something that I can't access right now because I haven't unlocked story-wise the ability that gives me the access that. But there are many points in that game where I go, okay, I have the ability, I have this thing, I've unlocked this uh, this poncho or this skin for BD1 or this lightsaber hilt or whatever. Like, And I've 100% this area. If I know that I am done then there should be a fast travel point. And that is something that I will point out that Outriders does. You get to the end of a like a side quest or something, then it goes, okay, you can go back to where you started this fucking thing at. Jedi Fallen Order doesn't do that. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta fight your way back through 30 minutes of bullshit just to get back on your damn ship. I hate that. I'll agree. The games should have fast travel. Because... Not everyone's like me. I don't want them to get turned off on their game because they can't fast travel. I think it should be an option. I am just highly against it. I I purposely nerf my gameplay where I will not fast travel. And that's just how I want to play it. I think it should be an option though, because not a lot we're all adults here. You know, we're we're in our thirties. We don't have time to dedicate 
I find that time. If I play Skyrim, and all I did for the hour I got to play was go from the town to the dungeon, and I probably got sidetracked because I saw a cave that I didn't find yet, and I went in the cave, and that's all I did, I'm okay with that. But I know a lot of people aren't because they want to experience this game, and they don't care about experiencing every nook and cranny like I do. Sure. So I think it's I think it's a good thing to have. I'm just against it, if that makes sense. It's like a reward. But, I mean, th- there's been a couple of games that I can think of where the fast travel I didn't use. Like, again, I apologize. You can at me later. Another game that I've talked about, I feel, may- maybe I've talked about it, Spider-Man 2018, right? The fast travel in that game was pretty damn useless because... There was nothing cooler in that game than just swinging your web from skyscraper to skyscraper and go, okay, I don't care that that thing's 1,500 meters away. I'm going to swing from building to building and have the cool hero music play. Like The only time I used the fast travel was, I think you have to use it three or whatever time, four or five times, whatever it is, to unlock the trophy for it. That's the only time I ever used the fast travel in that game. So there have been a couple of games. God of War 2018, I'll bring that game up again. Um, the fast travel in that game I almost never used because when you finally unlock that character, Mimir, and he's telling you all the stories of the Aesir and the Vanir and all the freaking things within the, the, the Norse mythology, and you're in the boat and you're traveling around like the Lake of Nine or whatever, like you, you, you're, at least for me, the way that I play that game, I'm invested in that story. I never wanted to get out of the boat. I wanted to listen to what this guy had to say and give me the detail, um, like what was happening within the world. So there are times where there have been games where I've played where I didn't use the fast travel. But I feel like that option, again, going back to like, if I've, if I know that I have searched everything, give me the option to get back to wherever I need to be to then continue the story. That's all I'm saying. And you shall have it. If it were up to me. Some game companies just say fuck you and you don't get them. Oh, and by the way, if our listeners keep in track, John has officially played five games all his life and they're anything he's mentioned on this game. They're all on the PS4. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Much. I'm sorry. There was MGS uh, O on the PS3. Called MGO, dumbass. Aren't you the Metal Gear Solid fan? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You said it. Metal Gear Solid. Okay, I'm sorry they forgot to add the S. You did encourage him to say MGSO whenever you called it Metal Gear Solid online instead of Metal Gear online. Uh, yeah. So there is a. <laughs> you, you're both a you know, slap of the hands. Look, and I, I, I was going to go past this, but I'm sure any listener who really loves God of War. Uh, is going to pick up on this when we were talking about the X. Uh, the, I'm sorry, the square, square triangle. You said XXY on the Xbox controller. There was no God of War on Xbox. There was no God of. Yes, I, I, I know that. Yes, but I was just saying it <laughs> so that so that an Xbox player could know what the buttons were. That's all I was doing. That it was. We don't care about those guys. Yeah, we're savages. <laughs> I mean, I I said in episode one, I am the Sony pony. Like, I I get it. If you only played Xbox during the PS2, GameCube, Xbox era, then you are missing out on a lot, and you don't need to cater to them. That's that's the way I feel. Xbox has really good games. Me and Andrew played the shit-ass Melo. I think we all played the shit-ass Melo, but uh, PS2 had to win that one. 
hands down with the absolute bangers they had of, of video games. When the discs worked. Hey, hey, hey. Those blue bags, man. Leave them alone. All right. I did because I couldn't play them. I had to leave them alone. Nobody could. God, they were so terrible. They look pretty, though. So, so what other topics did you guys want to bring out tonight? I, I have, I am stepping off my soapbox. I am done. <laughs> what else do you guys want to talk about? Oh, what about uh cutscenes? So, okay, I feel like I immediately feel like, goes into a tangent. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. Okay. Cutscenes. Hold on oh. to your lug nuts. <laughs> It's time for it's an over. time for no. So again, I feel like pausable, if that's even a word, pausable cutscenes should be a industry standard. Is it pausable? Is it is it pausable? Is it plausible to have pausable cutscenes? <laughs> I have <laughs> no fucking me. idea. No, but the the ability to skip it, like if I've already played through a game, right? Um I feel like most games have the ability to skip something. Like, if I've already played through the entire game and the story one time, I have the ability to skip. But I feel like there, the ability to pause a cutscene is, is something that a couple of games are lacking in. Like, I, I get it, you want me to witness a story event. Like, it's, it's a, there's a character death, or there's a, a character-defining moment, or something like that. But... Cutscenes should be pausable. That's just when you say pausable, like you need to stop what they're doing to get a tissue and then come back. Or are you talking about skipping? No, I am talking about literally stopping the scene where it's at and then coming back to it however many minutes, hours, okay. whatever later. I'm talking about like being this, able to st- There are some long cutscenes. I will say this, I do not care if the cutscene takes up like i'm sorry i don't care if a message during the cutscene pops up covering my entire tv saying press this button to pause it will not skip i'm not touching it i'm so afraid of skipping cutscenes i've had so many traumatizing experiences where i've accidentally skipped something and you don't know what the story is like supposed to be doing next so you're like just sitting there afterwards the creator of the game could come to my house take the controller and i would fight him because i'm like no you're going to hit the wrong button. It's going to skip. All right. I would never like, I feel like they should be able to pause because I think, uh, Final Fantasy 10 on, I think the remake allows you to do it. Yes. You're, you're able to pause. And so Driz, you're making my point for me. Like, so, so what happened to me is I was playing a game and my wife was like, Hey, dinner's ready. And so when dinner's ready, my son and I go and like make the table. We put the placement like, and I, I told my son, like, hey, all right, buddy, let's go set the table. And I, like, went to hit the, the options button or, or or it just hit a button to pause and it wouldn't. And this particular cutscene was, like, four minutes long. And I was like, oh, my God, there should be an I should have the ability to then pause it. I don't need to put my PlayStation in rest mode or anything like that. I just want to pause this thing, turn my TV off and come back to it half an hour later and just resume. That should be an option. You brought up Final Fantasy uh, X and X-2, the remake. You have that ability within that game. You didn't in the original PS2 version, um, but you had it in, in this game. 
the remake that came out in like 2014 or, or whatever, if I'm wrong. Sounds about right. You, you can at me later. It's fine. I, I'm just saying, pausable cut, sheen, cut scenes. I keep adding an H. I don't know why. Uh, that should be an industry standard. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. And I mean, I understand what you're saying. Like you're saying that if there's like a, a even if there's a four minute scene that comes through that you know is is part of the story it's part of this uh explicit part that you finally unlocked or recovered too i i I guess i'm thinking if the developers are thinking oh well i mean it's it's four minutes you mean they can't sit for four minutes no that's the same reason i can't sit down for to watch an in commitment of a two-hour movie but i'll watch six 30-minute episodes of a of a tv series because I have the option to leave anytime that I need to, then continue as I need to. Kev, you are the biggest like Metal Gear Solid fan that I know personally, and also out of the three of us. Like when you played, just pick a Metal Gear, right? There are cutscenes in that, in in really literally any one of those games that can be half an hour long. Did you ever find yourself playing any? Of those Metal Gear Solid games that you were like, uh, I either need to Metal take a Gear. shit, get a coffee, um, you know, or whatever. Well, I mean, I've already told the story about my ex and Metal Gear Solid 4. And it's my birthday. <laughs> Look, man, nobody cares. <laughs> my birthday's in a couple days. Nobody gives a shit. All right, man, just move on about your life. Nobody cares. The world went around, you know, another 365 days. You'd be all right. But uh, I feel like, again, it should be an option to, to pause it. I feel like that's that's probably a pretty, like, I don't know anything about coding. Please don't, you know, burn me at the cross or anything. I feel like it probably could be a pretty easy thing to add uh, to a game, and it's not going to hurt much. Uh, but as far as, like, me going to pause anything, no, nah, especially playing Metal Gear Solid, because when I go into Metal Gear Solid, I'm like, all right, man. I'm watching these cutscenes. I, I love everything about these games. I'm gonna I'm gonna sit through this hour and a half long video for Metal Gear Solid 4 because I know going now, since I played it, I know going into it, I'm gonna need this much time. So I'll probably save right before it. I'll stop for the day. Next time I come to it, got some popcorn, I made me my lazy boy, and I'm watching my hour and a half long Metal Gear Solid 4 video. You know what I mean? But I understand where you come from. Again, this goes with the fast travel thing where it's like not everyone wants to dedicate this time. So let them pause it. Let them skip it. Especially the one, the ones I will say I do skip if I can are obviously when a boss kills you in a really hard game and you have to go through this cutscene again of him laughing at you. And you're like, come on, man, just, kick, just, just come kick my ass again so I can watch this cutscene over and over, please. Right. Then you start doing that mimicking voice. Where you you do like the high pitched, oh, I'm gonna kick your ass. Like, that's what he says, but you're making fun of him, and then he does kick in your ass, and you feel like an asshole for saying it. No, I, I'm totally with you on that. Like, it, especially if there's, if, like, your character, your playable character dies, but then you have to reload from a save point or your last, you know, checkpoint or whatever within the game story wise, but then you have to keep going through. Uh, like the same introductory to a boss or whatever. Yeah, skip that shit. Let's get to the fight. Let me beat your ass so I can continue the story or the game or, you know, whatever. Yeah. 
Like if there's a way that it can already be coded that, yes, I have already watched this, then I have the chance to skip it. But if I have not watched it in this gameplay, then I have a chance to pause it. Yes. That's gaming as of today. I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, they had cutscenes back in older games and you ain't skipping shit. You you better mash through this text box because uh, there's no there's no button to make it go by any faster. So no, but that was the thing. It also wasn't usually like more than a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah, but that's a lot of mashing that you have to do to go through these damn text boxes that no one cares. Like some people don't care. That that as far as skipping goes, but if you're talking about pausing, you don't have to press the the button to actually let the text continue. And then that technically pauses the cutscene. Except for the cutscenes back in the day that had text that ran automatically. And then pressing the button just helped skip it. No, you uh, could like literally the button didn't do anything. It would just it would just play text. In in some of the games in like the early nineties when you did that, it was just it it would affect how fast that text was appearing. Where you could read it line by line or you could read it like paragraph by paragraph. Like it would just input the help input the speed if you will only on some games though i feel like i feel like today's games kind of like do a better job of obviously there's we can all probably name a game that doesn't allow you to skip or pause or anything but i feel like the ones back then few and far between allowed you to you know do any of that it was like well there you go you're at our mercy and that's if they even had cutscenes you know i mean we're talking like super nintendo era where some games had cutscenes, and they were basically just your characters moving on their own, talking to people on their own, and stuff like that. So that's it. I'm off my soapbox. Any other topics you guys wanted to bring up, like gameplay-wise or anything like that? This is this whole episode's just been a John tangent. Last last episode was Kevin. Next week it'll be Andrew. <laughs> Goddamn Outriders. <laughs> <laughs> um. I mean, gaming as it stands today, a, a positive, I mean, surprise, shocker, there are positives. Um, having older games or older ROMs a lot more easily accessible, that's that's fantastic. Before you continue, Nintendo, you have to stop listening, okay? We're not doing anything illegal here. Please don't shut us down. All right, Andrew, now you can continue. Because whenever your friend ends up getting like an SD card full of NES ROMs or SNES ROMs that are like, you know, five or eight hundred of the like entire collection, and then you can play them on modded games or such, that's it's amazing because you, I mean, it's difficult to find a 300 to 3000 dollar old NES cartridge. In decent shape without having to haggle somebody off of eBay. And for you to be able to find a game that is a knockoff or even just, you know, a ROM and be able to still experience the game, that's amazing. I don't know what you're referring to about SD cards. I just happen to know that if you have a one gigabyte SD card, you can easily fit with extra room left over the entire NES library. And I just know that for a Je- that was a Jeopardy question that came across. I knew it. It was for two thousand dollars. Aaron Rodgers thanked me at the end of it. It was it was it was great. I love ROMs, and there's different reasons for it. I own a lot of games, like, and I'm talking like I physically own these games, and I still try and play them. I have most of my original hardware hooked up. 
There's a few that aren't hooked up right now, and that's because I'm trying to convert them all to HD and stuff like that. But I love playing on original hardware when I can, and I own flash cards, which are cards that allow you to put SD cards in to play all these games off an SD card using ISOs and stuff like that. And that's really nice because I get to experience all these games that that have fell by the wayside by these companies that they just, for some reason or the other, they refuse to acknowledge them. I think, uh, like, Nintendo has their their Super Nintendo Online, their Nintendo Online or whatever, and you get NES games and you get Super Nintendo games. They just added four games that I've never even heard of. Couldn't give two shits. Meanwhile, Earthbound, Super Mario RPG, still nowhere to be found. Earthbound's, uh, I think it was 25th anniversary just came up or something like that, and people are still begging for uh, Mother 3 to be released on the West Coast, like on, on the West uh, side of the world. You know, thank thankfully to ROMs and stuff, we can get English translations uh, for this, yes. which is amazing. So you can play Mother 3 without knowing a single word of Japanese. Because someone did an English translation. And that's the only way you can play it without knowing Japanese and owning a Super Famicom or modding your Super Nintendo to play Super Famicom cars. And sometimes those translations are good, but you know, sometimes all those all your base are belong to us. <laughs> now that was that's that's actually what happened. Like the- I know, I know. That was that was Empire Earth, wasn't it? Uh I don't remember the game. I believe it was the original Empire Earth, if I remember correctly. I, I could be wrong. But another great thing that come of ROMs are fan like creations. So a lot of Pokemon alterations of yeah. uh, fan fan made. Kev, can can you quickly explain what the older ROMs actually are for the uninformed? Like Andrew? <laughs> yeah. So imagine it like this. Um, I'll start with the PS1. So you can take a PS1 disc and that has data on it and you can put it into your computer and you can upload the information from the computer onto an actual hard drive. And then you have that information on your hard drive. Now it's not that simple because you can't you can't just put a PS1 disc into your into your computer and it works like that. That 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 was just kind of like a easiest way to explain it. So you're basically taking the information off of the cartridge or the disc, and you're putting it onto the computer, and then you can play these these ROMs or ISOs on emulators, which literally emulate the system that you're playing on. So you can you can go and just download you can download emulators no problem, and you can actually I think. It's it's a little gray, but you can technically legally own ROMs and ISOs as long as you actually own the game itself. So if you own a copy of Super Mario Brothers, you can own a ROM of Super Mario Brothers. And many of which I have either owned or paid for in the past, and then either I've lost the copies or I no longer am in possession. That's basically what it is. It's just it's it's a digitized version of a physical copy. And a great thing about these is that they're everywhere. You can find them. They're never going to be gone now. They're on the internet. They're never going to leave. I I take really good care of my games. They have a shelf life. CDs will eventually deteriorate 
and it doesn't matter if it's a brand new copy. I have games of Legend of Zelda sitting up on my, my Legend of Zelda shrine that have never been opened. Eventually, those games will not work because they deteriorate over time. CDs, uh, I think, have a shelf life of... Mm, this is just a guess, like 30 years, like that. Uh, cartridges, uh, you know, you have to re- start replacing batteries and stuff like that. Things start corroding on it. And I think ROMs are just a good way to keep these things in circulation. Right, especially where current uh, consoles, current systems don't necessarily have the backwards compatibility to be able to play. And they're not making the original consoles. So you get things like the the Sega Genesis Classic, the Nintendo Classic, Super Nintendo Classic, the PlayStation Classic, which have... You know, anywhere from 20, 30, 60 games that are already pre-downloaded onto them so that way you can play them and still have that same experience with the the visual of the original console and even the the feel of the original controller. Sure. That way it gets all that, that all-encompassing, sometimes nostalgic feel, and it really just helps to relive the past. Are there any games, like, for you, Andrew, that you're like, man, I would like to play again, whether it's story or gameplay-wise, that you're like, oh, shit, I want to go get a, a ROM or something like that? It, funny that you mentioned that. There are there are a few that I have been interested in that I haven't owned, but, I mean, they go on eBay or whatever marketplace for 300 up Jesus. to, like, $800. Uh, one of them is actually one that I used to own that I don't know where it is now, and I'm very, very upset with myself for not knowing where it is. It is called Crusader of Senti for the Sega Genesis. And the the cartridge alone could run you about $180 to $300 with the, the whole cartridge instructions box or complete in box uh, set to be over $300 to $500. And it's a fun story, and I can't remember exactly why it was it it really skyrocketed up. It could have been, you know, lack of uh, production. Uh, it could have been just the quantity versus quality. But it it was it was an interesting game, and I remember when Kevin first played it, he thought it was just so weird because you're a 14 year old boy that you end up earning your dad's sword and shield because he was an old soldier for the the town but you're 14 and you get cursed and you can only talk to animals and you can't understand people anymore but you're 14 and you can't jump you don't know how to jump so you have to you have to learn from a rabbit which is the second animal that you find the first one is your dog your own personal dog who like tells other animals hey yo this guy's okay he talks to me he took care of me this guy's okay and the rabbit's like all right well i'll teach you how to jump so when that rabbit talks you could clearly make out that it was a new york accent back on genesis absolutely they had a certain font (laughs) hey i'm trying to walk over here (laughs) trying to learn how to jump (laughs) i feel like (laughs) I feel like ROMs today kind of, um, I don't know, I feel like they kind of paved the way a bit in 
games being digital, you know, because, I mean, the ROMs are obviously digital. And it just could be me being hopeful instead of just companies trying to save a buck and not print physical anymore. But I don't know. I feel like ROMs, like I said, pay the way for digital games, which I'm not really for. But as long as games, as long as they keep producing physical, I'm fine with them also producing digital as well. Andrew, was there was there anything again? Uh, like I'll I'll try and lead into kind of the next thing that I know you wanted to bring up, like uh, story wise, like RPGs, anything like that, like that you want to touch on. I mean, I feel like I don't know if it's just because a lot of stories have already been told, and you know, oh, like sometimes even the Japanese stories and. Uh, whatnot are just a little awkward to us or they we don't really understand them or they've already told all of the tales or we've already told all the tales some of them seem just repetitive and like i mentioned before in a previous episode like you know oh the misguided the misguided loner you know ends up finding friends and family and a love interest to be able to rise against the whatever opposition to be able to save the world in final fantasy 7 8 9 or 10 there are certain like story elements of some rpgs that just seem they aren't unique or original anymore and i mean i get i I understand you know it's like reading a book you can only have so much of the same story but you're gonna twist it a certain way sure there's like eight or nine different actual stories like boy meets girl girl falls in love with boy girl meets boy boy falls in love you know there's only like so many different types andrew can you think of um like uh an rpg in the in today or recent years that you're like actually has a good story or even the the reverse of that where you're like oh this story's just been recycled so many times and is totally like overblown or overused, I guess I should say. I mean, there's been a few of them that, uh, like, I'm terrible at just pulling something off of, uh, off the top of my head. But there's been a few of them that, are, like, have been pretty decent. Like, in Kevin's going through the Final Fantasies, and, you know, the first, you know, three or four or however many, like, have a similar repetitive, you know, save the world kind of vibe, I'm sure. But, you know, whenever you finally get to something else... Like, I can't remember exactly what... Like, I'm thinking of a Sega Genesis game called Fairy Tale, F-A-E-R-Y-T-A-L-E. And I can't remember exactly what the premise of it was, but I remember the gameplay was so, like, different and unique for what I ended up playing as a kid that as I ran around, it was a, it was a different kind of story. And, you know, there's there was Quest 64, which I'm sure it probably had a similar kind of story tell to something that was maybe even more Atari-ish, but the way that they ran with the new graphics and ran with the new button mappings and were able to tell the story that way was a little more updated and unique. And then as, as you advance, yes, everything can kind of advance with it. But I feel like there are certain ones that's just, they, they don't grasp me as much anymore. And it's hard to find because I, you know, everybody can be a, a game designer, which is great. Like, everyone can try it. Go for it. I, I'm not going to disparage anybody if they want to try it. it. It's sometimes just, you know, the audience, the target audience that you're going to find and the target audience that you're going to reach. Like, for me, if I'm that target audience, 
I may or may not grasp onto it. What are your thoughts on Horizon Zero Dawn? <laughs> I don't know yet because I haven't played it yet. Thanks for bringing Got that him. up. <laughs> Maybe you should try it sometime. Kev, you want to hop in here? Anything you got as far as like RPGs, story, that type of shit? Look, man, I'm an RPG sucker. I feel like they've had some really good RPGs. I feel like even just they've had some really good storylines, not even being RPGs. Um, past few years, obviously, Witcher 3. Uh, I love Undertale. I think that was a really well-done, unique game. Um, I know a lot of people hate it, and it's probably because of its popularity, but I feel like, I don't know if you guys played it or not, but it was a very unique concept to uh, a very old genre of video games. Of course, Outer Worlds came out in 2019. There's some, been some stinkers. Kingdom Hearts 3 comes to mind. Uh, that feels like that was just a game that took too long to come out. Ooh. Controversial. Yes. Controversial. Monster Hunter uh, World. Great that game. That one was a lot of fun. Yeah. Great game. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, it's, oh, Mass Effect, uh, the trilogy coming out, uh, the Legendary Edition. Great game uh, in the past, yeah. like, ten years. Which will already be out when this episode posts, but yeah. Uh, Bravely Default, that's coming out with a sequel. I loved Bravely Default. I played the first one. I didn't. Pr- uh, I didn't play Bravely Second yet. Yeah, I feel like. I don't know, man. Like it's because it gave me a Final Fantasy vibe whenever I first saw it and then played it. It's hard for me to diss any RPG that I played. Obviously, there have been some stinkers. Uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield come to mind because they just wanted some money on that one. Yeah, I, that's that's a whole other topic of. Pokemon, yeah. But overall, I feel like RPGs, just the, the storylines they've come out with, they've been rehashed, but I feel like they can put their unique spin on it enough where I don't feel like I'm playing the same story over again and over again. And it also comes down to like how how they actually do the game. You know, we've come a very long way from the original Final Fantasies where it's, you know, the ATB bar and you're just, even before that, where you're literally taking your turn and it's the enemy turn then it's your turn like it's it's not chess anymore it's you know it's it's live action and it's still rpg elements like it's it's still the equivalent of like a dungeon dragons game but all the rolling of the dice is done behind the curtain where you don't see it right now on a similar tangent um to kind of play off of that yes with rpgs also come certain strategy games like are you talking about games within the games no, I mean like I, I mean like games that you know don't necessarily have like a a level up bonus or a like I'm going to build my strength and dexterity and vitality or upgrade my talents. Uh, something more along the lines of Uncharted, where you have to figure out what needs to be done to advance to the next area. What uh, what areas do I need to traverse? Access. Uh, what puzzles do I need to solve? And I feel like you know, one of the one of the best puzzle games that I've ever played that comes to mind is called Landstalker on the Sega Genesis, and there are some very unique puzzles in that that I remember stumped me and my dad back in the day, and it was just amazing trying to think outside the box, trying to play chess instead of checkers, and. I feel like there are some of the strategy games that don't have the same unique puzzles. And I mean, I know like we were talking about 
Jedi Fallen Order earlier, and how if we were to go back to an area, we would have to return with newer powers, and then we were able to access different areas because of those newer powers. That's that's not really as uh, as uh, specific as what I'm thinking. That's not so much even as a puzzle. It's just you recognizing, oh, I don't have the ability or the power to do what I need to access this thing. That's not so much a puzzle, I think, is what you're getting at. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, no, you're right. But, I mean, as far as, like, the strategies games are nowadays, um, maybe because I've been playing so many games and I've, I've, I've seen, like, some of the strategies, some repeat, but, I mean, of course they're going to. It's like... A story of an RPG you know you're only going to have so much of a variance of some puzzles can can you give us an example of a game that you're playing or have played like recently where the puzzles have not challenged you a la Genshin Impact <laughs> actually some of those initially started to challenge me because of the uh, the way that they were set up and also because they encouraged the uh, character leveling and, and and building and talent developing of each of your characters and which elements you used so that that was that was fun and it still it still remains not necessarily a challenge but entertaining to me now as far as a repetitive game what about if you can't think of that can you think of one either you hated the puzzle or you thought it was a bad puzzle, or the puzzle just kind of like pissed you off at the solution of it. Okay, so this is probably going to be controversial, but there's a lot of Breath of the Wild quote-unquote dungeons that I was not too much of a fan of, because I thought that they were more puzzles than actual dungeons to delve in and solve to progress in the story. So, I mean, that kind of wasn't the same as the original premise of any of The Legend of Zelda's. And I was hoping for that, you know, that continuation of the the Skyrim vibe, the open world, the here we go with everything Zelda. And it, it kind of was a bit of a letdown. Now, I'm hoping the second one's going to be a little bit different, but, you know. You're not going to hurt my feelings by saying Zelda has some really crappy puzzles. Um, one that comes to my mind is... Uh... One that hardly anybody played, and if they did play, they probably didn't like it, but I enjoyed it. But one of the shittiest puzzles was in uh, the DS game, Phantom Hourglass. Uh, one of the puzzles was, obviously this game was for the DS. So Nintendo's big thing is anytime they have some kind of gimmick, they've got to throw it into their games. You know, Obviously, they had the Wii with the motion controls. That was their whole thing, so they were like... Every game has to have motion control. I don't care how stupid it is. We've got to throw it in there. And it makes sense. But then the DS for the Phantom Hourglass, they had one puzzle where you had to... Let me try to remember. You had to draw something on the bottom screen, the touch screen. And then it was like, all right, you have to open this chest. So in order to open this chest, spoilers for anyone who hasn't played fucking Phantom Hourglass... You're probably not going to at this point. <laughs> you probably should because it's been out for like 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> you have to close the DS and then open it back up like you were a chest. And that's how you pass this puzzle. And it, Really? Yes. 
Like you can put in Phantom Hourglass chess puzzle and it'd probably be the first thing to pop up. It, it pissed me off. Like the solution, I think it's ingenious, but the, like it pissed me off because I was like, how the how the fuck was I supposed to figure this out? Um, as far as like some of the best games I played puzzle wise, uh, there's a game that came out like 2012, 2013. I have it on my Steam. It's called Antichamber. This game messes with your mind so much. So it's one of the games where best way to uh, describe this. All right. Imagine you walk into a room and there's a wall and the wall has a hole in the center. Okay. A very tiny hole. So you walk up to the wall, you look in the hole and you see what's in, on the other side of the wall. There's a that's what she said joke in there somewhere. I'm just saying. Obviously. I'm just, I'm trying to basically try and like paint a picture for the audience besides a glory hole. Okay. So we'll say it's a square. Okay. A glory square. <laughs> You're in this empty room. All you have is the wall with the square. You walk around this wall and the room's completely empty. But as soon as you look into the square, it changes what's on the other side of the wall. And that's what this entire game is about is like looking at different things and it changes perspective. I think, I think I've seen a gameplay of that. It looked really Dude, cool. It's freaking trippy. Um, because to, you have to like, when you pick up an object and raise it up into the that's, sky, that's a different game. It looks the same. That's a, oh, okay, but that okay. is also a great game. I don't know the name of it, but obviously we can't go talking about puzzle games without talking about my main man, professor Layton. You know what I mean? Oh, such a good game. <laughs> Professor Layton. That, that, <laughs> Professor Layton is right up there with like Phoenix Wright, like attorney, like trying to pick the right thing to be able to say, ha, gotcha. <laughs> oh, man. Of course, Portal, Portal 2, those are some fantastic like puzzle games. John, you got any uh, so, puzzle games? Uh, the game you, just, you guys just brought up, attorney, like that's... Correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I didn't actually play it. Um, does that fall along the same lines as, like, say, Persona? Or am I, like, way off base here? Uh, I think they might be by the main, same company. Okay. But Persona is an RPG. Right. Uh, with really weird elements in it. Great games. I'm not going to knock them. Yeah, I, I know Andrew has played a little bit of Persona 2. Uh, not Persona number 2, but Persona also. <laughs> Which one did you play, Andrew? 5? I played 5, and uh, I recently acquired 2, which is a very hard one to find. I have yet to play it. I'm very like interested to play it. But when I played 5, I know our buddy Sean, he, uh, he was... Talking about it up, or like talking it up. I'm sorry. How much he enjoyed it. You mean Mr. Sean? Mr. Sean, as we know him. Um, But he's talked up the Persona games before, and I think he really talked up uh, Persona 3 and 4 um, way back when. And so whenever 5 came out, I was like, you know what? I'll give it a try. And I really enjoyed it. And I think just like most of my games, I am right near the end, and I have not beaten it. Have you guys ever done the thing where some game, uh, it's not even a puzzle game. It's just for some reason they would throw a puzzle at you and you would sit there and come up with the most convoluted way to solve this puzzle that works in your mind, but obviously like scribble knots kind of, but it's like, I'm thinking there was some PS2 game. It was probably God of War. 
honestly, like the original PS2 God of War, because that had a couple things where it was like, you need to move this block over here to get over here. Where like you're thinking in the realm of like, okay, it's a Taze game, we could probably do this, but PS2, we couldn't possibly do this. It's like, all right, well, if I throw this cube that I need to slide over here, that's what they intend me to, for me to do. But if I throw this just the right way, it might break in half, and then I can put this half over here. And you're thinking way outside the box of what the the, the uh, game could even do. Have you guys ever done that? Just me? Where you just try and outthink what the actual solution is? Dude, I, I can remember playing... Uh, God, this must have been back in like 07. Um, a, a game on PS3 called Dark Scepter. Where you kind of you're, you're this guy with like this kind of weird arm that has special abilities, kind of like a la Devil May Cry kind of a thing, um, at least Devil May Cry Four. And so, like the first level boss, you have um, basically the way to beat the fight is there's like flaming barrels all around you, and you can throw your energy, like the energy from your special arm, to kind of light this guy on fire. And it took me like 30 minutes to figure this shit out because I was totally overthinking like, oh shit, my regular damage isn't doing anything to this boss. But it, it took me quite a long time to realize, uh, there's these fire barrels and I can throw my <laughs> shit through them and that'll damage the boss. So there have been games where, because, uh, you know, I'm an idiot, um, you know, that has just taken me a while to kind of figure out the, the mechanic that I'm supposed to do at that time, if you will. You can't always blame yourself. Sometimes the games just don't do a very good job of explaining what you're supposed to do. And, you know, sometimes they think they did, and sometimes they do, and you just don't, you can't pick up on what they're putting down. Sometimes you skip through the cutscenes and you don't know what's going That's on. That's because I pressed start to pause it, and it skipped it, okay? We're moving past, that was, that was an hour ago. We're, we're, we're present day, okay? Andrew, stick with us here. We're talking about puzzles. Uh, what else we got on the side itinerary here? I think, uh, I think we've just about covered everything. Um, I think we've touched almost everything. That's what she said. John, <laughs> would you like to add anything besides 1999 humor? Which is basically that we're... We fit in, I guess, so keep on going at it. Yeah, that's pretty much it, man. It's going to be fun editing this episode. Holy shit. Um, no, I think that's pretty much all I had. Cutscenes, older ROMs, RPGs. If there was any other topic, like gameplay-wise or kind of game mechanic-wise, um, you know, you guys go for it. And I'll cut you off and interject when I feel is appropriate. <laughs> No, I mean, as, as far as everything that we've originally talked about, originally tried to sum up and to keep in a category to be able to talk about, I feel like we've hit all the main points that we've currently thought of. I'm sure we can probably think of more at another time, or as we uh, encounter them with future games that we play. But I think right now we've we basically uh, hit all the nails on the head. Sure. So I think, I think we got ourselves an episode. What are we going to say, Kev? I, I know I said this in the beginning of the episode, and if you stuck with us for this long, it's a very long episode, both the last one and this one. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it, but I want to reiterate, I'll say this for myself, and you guys can chime in how you guys feel. I still love gaming as it stands today. I feel like there are a lot of negatives and a lot of positives, and you know I feel strongly about these because you know I've been gaming for so long, and I just feel it's it's a very 
it's it's my life. You know, I, I I work, I you know hang out with my wife, and I game. All right, so a good portion of my life involves you know all these all these things. Hopefully, anything we talked about, uh, you guys don't see it as all oh, they're just old and they 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 got nostalgia classics on. Uh, you know. All the kids these days, they don't know anything of the old guys. Give me paper, boy. No, it's... <laughs> I, I love gaming as it stands today. I, I, I can't wait to see what the future holds. It's just I feel like there's definitely some drawbacks on what gaming companies are doing now and what gaming you know is doing as of right now. Um, there's the good with the bad. There's the rushed. There's the planned out. There's the, you know, well thought out. Or there's the, we've been trying to develop this in a long for a long time, but everybody's trying to push us, so we're going to release Cyberpunk. Don't get me wrong, I am not putting old stuff on a pedestal. There's there are plenty of things wrong with older games. And I think a lot of that comes with the, the the time it was. You know, they they didn't have the technology and stuff like that to to do what we could today. And honestly, I feel like that kind of helps them back then, where they didn't have all this. They couldn't, you know, the consoles back then couldn't do this, so they had to think outside the box on okay, well, how can we achieve this? Where now they can do anything the hell they want. And they just take the easy way out, I feel like, sometimes. So, do I love older gaming? Yes. I love from PS2 era down. It was probably going to be my favorite. And that's just the way it's going to be. But I'm still going to buy every new console, and I'm still going to play all the new games that I can. Because I I love it. I absorb it. I'm all about it. 10-4, good buddy. Ditto. (laughs) <laughs> as you guys can see it's a uh, very good inputs <laughs> all around <laughs> no like dude yes. i i wholeheartedly like just agree with everything you said um <laughs> that's pretty much all i got really you know I, Fair I, enough. I think you you said it i think you said it uh eloquently eloquently enough <laughs> yeah there we go ditto <laughs> you owe me a coke um well, guys, we thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Video Game Lounge. You can follow us, like I said, on creativebraincandy.com and other great podcasts that are over there. You can also look us up on Twitter and Instagram at VGL Podcast. And we will see you guys on the next episode. Thank you so much. See ya! Later. you lose your train of thought there no he's yes i'm sorry i had a a bug in my eye i was trying to suffocate it Uh oh